0: For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me Matthew Myro as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by mj.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited mj.com? mj.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. (laughs) Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me once again on the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You're here because you're curious about cannabis as medicine, and you know that this is the place to go to get all the latest, best information from leading researchers, clinicians, scientists, you name it. If there are innovators in the field, I'm bringing their information to you. And this week, we've got Dr. Sunil Kumar Agarwal, Dr. Agarwal is a PhD, an MD, and a beautiful human. We spend a lot of time talking about spiritual health and the role that cannabis can play in that healing because it has for thousands of years. We also go into cannabis-assisted psychotherapy. It's a powerful episode. It's an important episode. I am definitely going to get Dr. Agarwal back on the show again for a round two. But until then... Please enjoy this episode with Dr. Sunil Agarwal. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine Podcast, and today's guest is Dr. Sunil Kumar Agarwal. Dr. Agarwal is a board-certified medical doctor specializing in palliative care, hospice, and integrative rehabilitation medicine. He also holds a Ph.D. in medical geography, writing his dissertation on the medical geography of cannabinoid botanicals in Washington State. Dr. Agarwal is a clinical assistant professor at the University of Washington School of Medicine, an affiliate assistant professor of geography at UW, and a faculty member of the National Family Medicine Residency. Dr. Garwal's publications, certifications, keynote speeches, and media appearances surrounding the topic of cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system are frankly, they're too great to actually get into right now. So I won't begin to list them. I'll let you get it straight from the man himself and we'll dive right in. Thank you so much, Dr. Garwal.
1: It's a pleasure, Matthew. I I look forward to our conversation.
0: Great, great. Well, let's let's dive right in. I'm curious to how you first got involved in cannabis at all. How, what drove you towards making this a focus in your career?
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, I have always had an interest in uh, mind-body medicine. Um, I was interested in, in meditation and yoga as in high school. Uh, also, <clears throat> because even earlier than that, I'm Second generation or child of Indian immigrants, and so um, I learned from my parents and books we had at home about different forms of um, meditation practice to improve um, stress, well-being, ayurveda, and um, and so I guess I had that sort of idea in my mind that there's uh, it's important to find a way to meditate and 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 you know improve improve your health. And as a student, uh, undergraduate student, uh, I was very stressed at uh, Berkeley. I was taking two majors and a minor, uh, you know, trying to do everything and um, and of course take in this new world. And anyway, so when I tried cannabis for the first time, uh, uh, it it was really the, it was really that that got me very interested because it was it sort of uh, helped me with that slow down the mind, and, and I remembered back to the old books that I'd read about. A uh, state of mind of of sort of alertness and relaxation simultaneously, and I thought this is this this herbal therapy seems to be helping helping achieve that. That's that's a pretty big deal. And uh, at the same time, I had been told the total opposite about this substance throughout my uh, education up until that point that it was not good for you and, and dangerous. And so that that contradiction. Uh, really piqued my interest, and I wanted to ask, I asked more questions about what's going on uh, in the mind, in the body, the the pharmacology, and I discovered that, um, well, that science was just then discovering how it worked, uh, you know, with the endocannabinoid signaling system in the brain, and that there was a whole new paradigm of thinking about how chemistry uh, makes the brain go, and it it was a different it was a time that it, I just realized this was like a total rabbit hole. There's a lot more to how cannabis is working in the body that has to do with how the body works itself, and that that uh, is how I got into it. And I started reading articles, meeting with researchers um, in the Bay Area who were working on this, on cannabinoid signaling and cannabis medicine. And uh, and then when I went into school, grad school uh, I, in medical school. Uh, I just dove even deeper, learning more in terms of what kind of illnesses that patients face and and how they use cannabis to help them with that and Then I decided to make it the focus of my research uh studies and i don't know it's still it's still an unfold unfolding, but it all started with my own personal experience of this state of of uh you know of bliss and calm and I thought that uh that's that's the that's the plain truth about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's got, that's, that's how most of us got involved with it in the first place, right? It's just you, you realize, oh, this isn't what Ronald Reagan told me it was. This is actually really helpful. <laughs> There's so many different directions I, I want to take this, but I would like to start with cannabis-assisted psychotherapy. And this is not something that I've heard anything about until beginning this conversation with you and what is the process around this and, and how are you able to, uh, take, take sort of the the social engagement and medicinal aspect of cannabis as it's so commonly held and move it into this therapeutical setting.
1: That's a good, it's a, it's, it's a good question. And I don't have a lot of experience with it, but, um, back in the sixties and seventies when before cannabis was placed on schedule one. There was a, um, there was a doctor, a psychiatrist uh, named uh, Dr. Herman in, who lived in New York and then later lived in Texas actually. And he was doing, uh, he, he has, uh, he had written articles on the use of marijuana and psychotherapy. And he was a kind of, you know, inspired by the early, phase of psychedelic therapy like that was going on with um, LSD and things like that with um, at different medical centers around the world. And uh, he was saying that uh, actually cannabis could be a very helpful tool in psychotherapy to um, help to sh- manifest the unconscious and to sort of be uh, having awake dreams and, uh, you know, help to lower defenses between, uh, you know, in the therapeutic relationship people's you know, personal defenses when, when they're guarded or they're defensive about discussing trauma or their own emotions. So these are all the kind of elements that you know, uh, a drug-assisted model can help in psychotherapies. So there's something that can sort of lubricate the wheels to help you go deeper and to look, at, to look at things in a different way. And so he did this under federal license. He had a, a license under the, whatever the federal law was and he was prescribing cannabis uh, to patients and and how to do, use it during psychotherapy sessions and that's that is sort of how I got interested in this as a like actual modality and 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 I think this also has roots in older uh, indigenous traditions. Um, there are reports in, in African tribes that have uh, that they would use cannabis in ways to help prisoners or people who were in trouble for some reason you know, to kind of, okay, you're, <clears throat> you've done something wrong, you're going to go into this, like, hut for a while, and you're going to be there, and, you know, they would fumigate that with cannabis. The, I've forgotten which tribe. This has been documented in some literature. So it almost as a sort of prisoner rehabilitation, I think, you know, what we would call today, like, okay, we got to help you rehabilitate from whatever you've done. And so I'm sure there's many models like this, and, then of course, there's a, a much deeper model in, in religion or spirituality with cannabis as well. So uh, the psychotherapy model was really uh, innovated in it throughout the 60s with cannabis, and then it sort of fell flat, and we haven't really heard about it um, in this more recent iteration of cannabis as medicine you know, since the 1996 law in California. However, um, Dr. Macaria, Todd Macaria, who's kind of a grandfather of cannabis um, medicine, um, who had worked at the National Institute of Mental Health, you know, he, I, I used to work with him before he passed away um, and read a lot of his papers. And he, he talked about cannabis as, he said, it should be a unique drug category. It should be called an easement. And that uh, he says that it, it is something that can help to relax obsessive and mood-driven cogn, uh, mood-driven, uh, obsessive and mood-driven cognitive patterns uh, and put them into emotional perspective, some, something like that. He has all this excellent writing about way in which it can help to improve people's you know obsessive or anxious sort of mental preoccupations. He has a nice paper on this and I think he he sort of also in my mind laid the groundwork of what how it could be used to help people process difficult emotional states or Or you know, cognitive states or mental distress. He also is interested in cannabis as a treatment for addiction, and then of course now we know a lot more also about the use of cannabis in the treatment of PTSD. Um, And there's a lot lot of um, you know recognition around that for symptom symptom relief to help people feel less rageful, less more calm. Um, But I'm sure the sort of the next iteration of that is well, how can we integrate cannabis into the Psychotherapeutic process when you're working with a psychotherapist, um, and I, that's sort of what um, I think is still very much in an early stages. And uh, I have a, a there's a, a psychologist that works uh, in my my clinic, uh, Dr. Allison Drazen, and she's sort of um, pioneering using you know cannabis in her practices. I'm I'm integrating with her to help screen patients, um, make sure that they're medically appropriate to use cannabis in a you know in a clinical setting. Uh, And then they make, we have them talk to a cannabis educator to make sure that they, um, you know, get the right product or the right material that's, uh, and then of course a vaporizer or that's all we could really do in the office. Um, And then, uh, and then they have a session and, you know, a couple of hours long, two hours maybe. And uh, it's just a process of just sort of titrating up to that right state and um, exploring and then having a post session follow-up where you're not in your altered state uh, to integrate, you know, and so trying to build the model that we know around psychedelic therapy in with cannabis-assisted psychotherapy, which is preparation, medical screening, preparation, experiential session, and integration. That's sort of the model that we have at our clinic, and not a whole lot of patients have availed this at this point, so I'm still learning about it. I think people wonder, like, why should I go into a doctor's office and use cannabis when I can use that in my home? You know, and I think that's, there's something to that. And, you know, I think there's a maybe one day we'll come up with a home therapy model as well. Cause I think there's, there's something to be said for that, for especially in during the time of pandemic to be able to make services more, you know, accessible to people where they're at. So anyway, that's kind of in a nutshell, what, what I think of when I um, with cannabis assisted psychotherapy, it's, it's an approach that really hasn't, you know, a lot of medical cannabis has been focused on physical body, physical health. And, um, I think the mental, uh, mental, emotional, spiritual health aspects are, um, you know, kind of put to the wayside or not seen as sort of as legitimate or medical, but I think it's one of the most important things that cannabis can, um, can help patients with. And I should also mention, there was another doctor in, in, um, Humboldt County that I came across, um, uh, I've forgotten his name right now, but um, he was one of the first people writing cannabis authorizations in, in the in the, Trinidad, the gold, the Emerald Triangle. Um, he's been there for a long time, going out to rural areas of Humboldt. And his, his main interest, uh, uh, he told me, was uh, cannabis as a tool to help people's emotional receptivity. Uh, and, that, you know, even though he'd been writing medical, you know, doing cannabis and medicine for decades literally, legally, you know, um, he said that this was sort of one of the most un, underappreciated aspects of it. So I'm, I, I'm I'm, echoing his, this is where I've learned this from these different doctors. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, <and> I'm <laughs> really excited, really excited to hear about this. It's, it's not something that I've come across before. And like you said, there is sort of the model in place around psychedelic assisted psychotherapy where people have found that, sure, you can have a psilocybin experience on your own, but the real benefits come from having that experience in the presence of a facilitator that's trained well and then continuing the therapy afterwards to dig into and integrate the experience itself. And I I can only imagine how helpful that would be around cannabis. You know, so much of the experience just... Um, lends itself, it's like an adaptogen, right? It lends itself to anything that you might be doing, enhancing most anything that you might do. But to use it as an internal medicine for your psychology, this, uh, I feel like there's just so much potential there. And this really got me excited when I I saw you wanted to talk about it.
1: Absolutely. And I forgot to also add, you know, uh, the other model that I think we wanted to explore at our clinic, we haven't sort of, we wanted to get more experience with individual sessions with, with Patients with clients uh, before we did that is, uh, but sort of a natural iteration is to do group psychotherapy, you know, um, with cannabis assistance, and I think that's um, closer to sort of social rituals around cannabis use. Um, and you know, we we're still kind of like trying to figure that one out. But I, I think people are out there doing. You know, I've seen in Colorado there's some people doing cannabis therapeutic circles or spiritual well-being circle facilitation circles. And I think it's, you know, it's something in that vein. And I think the more, you, actually, I think the, the sort of spiritual health and well-being aspect, I think will come up more in that kind of setting, honestly. Uh, so it's still something that I'm, I'm not really sure what it'll look like, but I, I think cannabis will lend itself very well to that kind of, um, and the benefits that people get out of group therapy, even if there's no substance, you know, seeing each other and being seen and learning how to be in, in relationship and and that kind of thing, I think it's um, I think it'll help to facilitate the the value of a group therapy process.
0: Yeah, and you had mentioned spiritual health too. And I wanted to dive into that a little bit. the The spiritual references to cannabis throughout history, if you know, from Shiva in India, and even there's a lot of. There just this past week, we found um, old Jewish archaeological sites where there's cannabis is an evidence of their religious practices there too and so i don't know maybe if you want to go on about the spiritual aspects a bit
1: yeah sure i mean it, it is um it's just listen the, the spiritual aspect of health um has always been there uh, and the, like the who actually you know officially says in their and several of their documents from the 70s and 80s that you know you have to include spiritual it's not health is a complete state of physical, it's not just physical, mental, emotional, uh, well-being. It's also spiritual in there. And that's that's sort of the official definition. And it's, it was actually like a process to sort of even get people to recognize that and realize that because we have been so really uh, reductionized into thinking that, you know, the health is really has nothing to do with spirit. It's a sort of different uh, entity. And I have a paper coming out in the, the Rutledge Handbook of Interdisciplinary Cannabis Research um, that Humboldt State University is putting together. My, my colleagues, Dominic Korba and Josh Mizell, are um, the editors of that book. Anyway, in that, in that chapter, I, I talk a little bit about the history of how medicine really did separate out the spiritual aspect because the negotiation with the church um, like, okay, this is, uh, you know, the soul stuff we take care of, uh, you don't mess with that. And if you talk about that then you know, you'll be in trouble. And then on the other side is the body. And, you know, you can, you can take care of the body, you know, through, through medicine and then all the you know dissections of ana- cadavers and, and the anatomical correlations that came out of France and, and sort of medicine became this sort of physical, the, the physical body and what, how you duck. What is the pathology of the dead body, and that's how that correlate with illness in the living body. And nowhere was the concept of consciousness or in, you know the whole person well being. It sort of was lost in the, in that way. It was like it was like I can't really objectively describe it with with a lens that another person can see and 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 reduce reduce into numbers or drawing or in, under a word. Then it's not it doesn't exist. And that that process is sort of I think. um, it, with the integrative turn in mental health and health and medicine it's bringing bringing that whole person including spiritual health and well-being back to what it means to be a healthy human being and I think you know certainly spiritual traditions religious traditions um, I mean there's a lot of religious trauma in the world uh, you know abuse spirit religious abuse uh, from indoctrinations and all that kind of thing and so there's a understandably a lot of trepidation when we kind of introduce these kind of concepts but into health but really spiritual has nothing to do with religion it's a separate it's a separate domain that's inherent into the nature of the condition of being a human being because we all are gonna we all have to face existential stress we're gonna die you know we and we, we we long for connection with each other and so spirituality is that sense of connectedness and then, um, and and, you know, and valuing whatever it is that's sacred or significant to you, and so that, how to bring that into health and cannabis and many entheogens have been part of the process for people's sense of connectedness, helping them loosen the tightness of the ego and feel a larger connection. And I think that's why it's been utilized so successfully in religious traditions. And you know, the latest finding out of. Uh, uh, ru- ruins in Israel that were really found in the 60s. That they they discovered that these urns, you know, these um, the holiest of holy, the inner sanctum of the uh, they in this temple, which was I think um, first temple or first temple Judaism. They they uh, would light uh, frankincense in one bowl and they would write like cannabis in another another bowl and they would fumigate the area. And presumably, and it had THC, you know, it had different, uh, the byproducts, not just, and that's the whole other thing. People think about cannabis, well, it's just CBD and the THC side doesn't matter. No, the THC side is really important for some of this spiritual healing aspects and and mental health aspects and physical pain and a whole bunch of things. I just want to put that out there. But the, the the reason that we are sort of geared that way is because we're worried about how to deal with alterations of consciousness in this way. But there's a whole spiritual well-being model that knows how to how to channel that, and that's what these religious traditions, I think, utilized. Unfortunately, I think they were just for priestly classes, and they didn't really open it up to the larger community. And I think that's um, another movement that's happening in, in spiritual uh, spirituality is to try to bring the methodologies, even in, in Indian religion traditions. You know, there's been a lot of caste system and. Uh, only upper class, upper caste people are allowed to read religious books or do practice certain religious rituals. And, you know, with Buddhism and other trends, there's been a desire to sort of look, how can we make this more accessible to everybody? And I think medicine, healthcare, which is supposed to be accessible to more people, should be a vehicle to help people um, reconnect with the spiritual aspect of their well-being and health. It's not a substitute for, for religious traditions or anything like that, but it's it's something that can help people, um, uh, heal. Anyway, I, I, there's a much deeper topic on that, of course, but many religious traditions have integrated cannabis and it's now, now it's been proven archaeologically that Judeo Christian tradition, which is the largest religious tradition in the world, most followers is, um, also has, is a, you know, has a cannabis entheogenic origin, or at least in its early days was incorporating cannabis. And I think, um, you know not this is not new (laughs) it's not new information it's just it's i think people are like more available to hear it now because they see cannabis as more part of their worlds because it's because of the efforts of reformers uh and i think uh we need this as much as we need the medicalization and we need access to you know cannabis for research purposes and and well tested cannabis we also need cannabis as a spiritual aid you know and um i'm I'm uh, excited to—I don't know—like just find ways to honor that in in healing. And I think actually a lot of medical marijuana patients, when they talk about well, chronic serious illness, life-threatening illness, AIDS, cancer, cannabis actually in addition to helping with nausea, vomiting, pain, uh, I think it helps people, um, you know, existentially deal with the existential distress of living with this, the stress of living with an illness. Uh, And it helps to alleviate that, that, uh, those aspects. And that's probably part of why it's been, you know, so you never can separate the spiritual out of the physical. Like that was all just kind of a a hocus pocus. It was always there. And cannabis is such an effective medicine that works on those different levels. So I think it'll help us. It'll help us (laughs) with all the thing, understanding all the things that cannabis is doing for, um, you know, for uh, cancer patients, AIDS patients, and 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 then, of course, for people who don't have chronic or serious illness but are dealing with just the stresses of life.
0: That I can't tell you how refreshing it is to hear a medical doctor speak in such a way. It's it's so critical. I mean, and since what the, the 15, 1600s, there was that separation between spirit and the body, and, and it was arbitrary necessary politically for the time, I guess, but really detrimental to human health for the last 500 years. And it uh, it truly is refreshing to hear you speak in that way. So thank you for that. Um, All right. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. And I want to get into a little bit of um, your activism side. And so I was reading a little bit about some of your contributions to the um, American Medical Association with trying to really encourage them to reschedule cannabis away from Schedule 1 and, and to put it somewhere that's more reasonable for its actual medical benefits. Would you mind to dive into that a little bit? Sure. Thanks for asking, Matt. You know, I, uh,
1: one of the you know requirements to being a medical doctor or the Hippocratic Oath is that you... I have to advocate for changes in health that are in changes in policy that can benefit the health of your patients. It's part of the, um, a, uh, the AMA's code of medical ethics. And so I kind of, as a as a medical student, um, since I, I had this interest, as I was telling you before, in terms of how to use cannabis and in, in, in health, and then looking at the barriers to its access, I thought to myself, well, if this is if I'm going to go into medical practice and not have any ready access to this medicine that I've been studying, well, that's not going to be any good for me as a practitioner. And then, you know, uh, patients will suffer. And so we should use every tool that we have at our disposal. So that's the marijuana policy project contacted me and said, well, you know, this, you, you're a doc, you're kind of doing this, a, a lot of work in this area. Why don't you try to see if you can get them to change their, their minds. And um, so I really joined the AMA specifically for the purpose of, trying to raise awareness around cannabis as medicine. And I found other allies in the medical student section, uh, other folks who had been working on issues around, you know, sexual, uh, um, sexual health prevention and um, uh, other types of discrimination in healthcare. And they basically told, you know, they said, yeah, that sounds good, let's, let's do this. So I had many, many students who signed on to the uh, resolution around the country, which we, um, you know, MPP helped me with some of the drafting uh, I kind of uh, added more information around what are the research studies coming out and that, you know, cannabis should not be, does have accepted medical uses. We need to uh, change its schedule uh, and we should advocate for that. And so all the students uh, signed on and then we had a unanimous passage in two thousand eight seven two thousand seven 2007 in Chicago. Uh, and it, it was, uh, you know, we got national press coverage on it. Apparently the White House was calling the, uh, at some point is what I heard uh, from the different people, the AMA is like tied into a machinery of healthcare and insurance and pharmaceuticals. And so it's kind of like a, you know, in those days it was like, oh, are you guys endorsing medical marijuana? What's going on? You know, it was more like, hey, we, we students, we student body feel that cannabis has a right, uh, you know, it's, it should not be it should be much more a lower schedule, more appropriate schedule for, for research and for experimental use in medicine. So um, that then after two years that went through the Council on Science and Public Health at the AMA and then a, a year and a half later we got the, the full AMA uh, then took it on and it kind of got watered down in that process, but they still um, you know made a strong statement that uh, cannabis should be uh, reviewed. It's schedule one status should be reviewed, urgently reviewed. And I thought that was nice to see. And then, of course, at the same time, it never really did get urgently reviewed by the, by the federal government. Um, and so that's still an ongoing fight, you know, now 10 years later. And, and that's part of the, you know, in the meantime, there has been a lot of pharmaceuticalization of cannabis products like GW Pharmaceuticals, Epidiolex uh, coming out and Sativex still going through clinical trials, which are, thc and cbd containing whole plant uh, extracts so i think you know um, and then at the same time there's been a lot of proliferation of state-level medical cannabis programs so people are just we've sort of given up on some aspects of the feds that they're just sort of stuck in this much older system and then letting states sort of move along but that's not a long-term fix because many patients need federal recognition for them to be able to function in the workplace or in their housing or with their benefits from the the government or whatever it is. And so, um, it's still, it's still a problem and I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, somebody comes into office to correct that at the administrative level or a a judge or, uh, it's still an issue. And um, I don't really know. Um, so a lot of my activism was around just, Normalizing cannabis as a part of a normal armamentarium in in health in in health and med- medicine of course we talked earlier about spiritual health and well-being but also as an agent a prescribable like recommendable herbal therapy that you know shouldn't shouldn't cause anyone any alarm just because it's cannabis or just because it's a plant and I, I've been really uh, I, I also do that one-on-one with patients because it's, it's not just the professional side of, you know, activism. Okay, letting the public know that doctors support this, letting the doctors' guild know that that we doctors want to see a change in law for our patients' benefit and for the benefits of science and medicine. But then you still see patients every day that have been indoctrinated into this. Well, I shouldn't use this because it's bad, right? Or I, I'm I, how how am I supposed to safely? you know, how do I deal with my religion that considers cannabis a bad thing or, or, or and I've seen it from many different immigrant populations and different groups. And so I've written some articles and I try to kind of talk patients through like, well, here, here's really what it was all about. And this is the science of it, evolutionarily speaking, and, and what it can do for your body and your brain. I wrote an article called Cannabis Fear Deconditioning. Uh, and I think that's really, if, if I had to put a word on my activism, it's really around that trying to help reduce the fear level, that inherent sort of knee jerk. Oh boy, actually I better, you said the word marijuana or the cannabis. I, I got to be a little bit more alert about that. And that's part of the, you mentioned Ronald Reagan. You know, things like that. So I think that's what, that's what uh, my activism has been around. And, you know, anytime I can support, um, I, I think the next iteration of this is, is around, um, cultivation rights. We don't have a lot of cultivation rights in, in, um, in in, in my state, only for medical patients, but not for everyone else. And I think uh, anytime I authorize patients for medical use, I maximize their 15 plants as the maximum amount that they can grow. I think everybody should have a right to grow cannabis plants, you know, safely. And so there's lots and lots still to do. We have made significant progress since those days of 2007 when there was really very few states and lack of recognition. And now cannabis is seen as an essential businesses during the time of a pandemic. And, uh, I think it's, uh, it's going the right way, uh, overall. So anyway, I'm, <laughs> what else do you want to know about that?
0: <laughs> that that's good. That's great. I love it. I think it covers it, but I also want to be respectful of your time. I know you said that you, you had to stop here. Um, should we just call it quits here and maybe we can pick up and do a part two sometime in the next couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Is there, you know, I, I could take another one more question. If there's anything that you had on your list, I'm happy to um, come back again too, Matt.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, so I wanted to segue into, because of the current state of affairs, um, race and cannabis. And, and like you said, you are a second generation of an immigrant working in the cannabis world. And there's, a tremendous dearth of minority business owners, um, physicians even that are working in this field. And I just wanted to get your thoughts around that.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Just, just briefly, I think, you know, just to pick up on things I've said already, the idea of so. Sort of Fear, the fear of cannabis, the fear of deconditioning that I talked about is necessary for this to really fully um, manifest in, in our, in our health care system and in public health. We're going to have to address that fear head on. But uh, the fear itself was initially, at least in the West, uh, both in, in the U.S., especially in the U.S. Uh, I, there's actually different stories about what happened in Mexico in the 19th century, um, in the actually late sorry, late 19th century, early 20th century is sort of when cannabis prohibition and the the story around it being a dangerous thing became really pop, really out there. And it was very much tied to um, fears that people already had around being, uh, being in the same city, town, area with people of different races. Because there is, there was an inherent kind of Fear. Okay, these are foreigners. They don't speak my language. They have a different skin color than I. They have maybe a different religious tradition they come from. I'm talking about Mexican immigrants, also South Asian immigrants that were coming in the 19 early 1920s 1900s. And there's several articles and and you know things you can look back in the archive that shows how people's fear of undesirable black and brown bodies. Um, you know, was, it was utilized as a part of the fear mechanism that cannabis was tied to. So, you know, so there's a very much of a racialized element in the fear conditioning of cannabis. And then the other side of it is of course, privilege, um, you know, who's, which substances used by which groups were seen as normal and acceptable and which ones were seen as, um, uh, dirty and dangerous. And I, I think that's, um, that's kind of the cultural cultural war politics, uh, which are very much uh, shot through by race. I, I just I think um, it's just it's just sort of a uh, you know the disparities in arrests for cannabis laws, um, the access to uh, licenses for cultivation for dispensing, all of that is part of the structural way in which selective laws that can be selectively enforced um, benefit the groups who are more privileged. It's just, that's just the nature of the game for economic purposes, for law enforcement purposes, but deeper than that, how cannabis became to be part of a, 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 an item that can be selectively accessible like that is very much tied to the history of colonialism and, you know, white supremacy. And I think we won't get out of that cycle until we change the control of uh, like really remove it from that but even even then there's a visibility issue you know uh, who who what kind of cannabis use do we get to see people using cannabis who are in different different racial groups you know because there was a long association it wasn't just a, the the fear of the racial group it was the fear of the racial group using cannabis you know that they would go crazy and hurt rape your daughter or destroy your field or um you know shoot you that was it's sort of that it's it's we have that, that's a visibility issue. And, um, I think that's very important that we find ways to, you know, uh, invite people, invite, invite people into seeing what it looks like, different spaces of people using, utilizing cannabis, dispensing cannabis, being around cannabis who are of different racial groups to help to lower that, that inner threat level that I think people have around it. And, Anyway, and I think it's totally a racist reason why cannabis was selected out, as I mentioned earlier. So that whole system is going through reform at the, at the international level right now, um, but that's still also slow going. But I'm, I'm very hopeful to see to see changes happening at the international level. Uh, I think in this, the States right now, a lot of people are angry. I think a lot of the looting of cannabis businesses right now are tied to a resentment around who has access to capital and and cannabis um, Uh, license and and it's it's sort of like uh you know we're gonna have to do a better job seriously like there's no like it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous issue that that and you know cannabis is a really good salve to help people deal with the stress of being being marginalized that's the other interesting thing i have an article that uh, on forbes and leafly that a reporter interviewed me about uh refer your viewers to listen to that or check that out. Um, cannabis was always utilized as a tool for downtrodden groups, uh, indentured servants, uh, slaves, um, to deal with the stress of being second class. We actually know the endocannabinoid system is involved in helping you deal with rejection, the emotional stress of being rejected. It's not as bad if you have, if you have a cannabinoid booster in your body, you don't feel as bad. And so I think, uh, that's that's the interesting flip side of this is cannabis can actually heal uh, helped with the healing of racial disparity but the way we regulate it exacerbates racial disparity so uh, that, that that's
0: does that make sense <laughs> absolutely yeah and i really appreciate your perspective and, and for sharing it as well it when you dive into it, it at first it seems like oh well we have an issue with People altering their consciousness and then you said no because people can drink alcohol legally people drink a lot of coffee legally those are definitely alter, they'll definitely alter your consciousness so it can't be that it, it likely is racial and its roots and it's it's got to change it's got to change it. and uh, hopefully conversations like this can can help in some sort of way no matter how small but uh, I think we need to keep having more and more of them especially in this industry
1: Absolutely. I'm so glad you're out there doing that, Matt. I, I look forward to further dialogues with you about this because uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, we, we have to talk about it and, and only through that process. And I think that's what's happening these days is, um, you know, vis- making visible the, the discontent um, along race lines and race and its class together. You know, here, I think I want to emphasize the, the way in which this is a kind of a caste system which are the substances, which bodies with which substances are are acceptable versus not. And that's very much a kind of whose body is more pure. And that's very much a that is tied to the caste system. Like they got that down to a T. Like that's the whole history of caste is whose body is the most pure. And I I refer your viewers to learn about the caste system and its ongoing problems in in, in Indian society, both in the India and also in the U.S. It turns out we bring some of these baggages with us. And that's, that's, and it, things will go on until they're called out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we'll keep calling it out. Let's keep, let's keep doing this, man. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time is, um, would you like to share where people can find you and reach you?
1: I'm um, sure aimsinstitute.net is our, uh, my clinics website. So you can go there and, and get hooked up with um, all of our social media. Um, I also have my own Twitter account, Human Sunil. Uh, so uh, they can find me on on, on, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and then online. And I'd love to hear from folks. Um, feel free to drop us a line if we can help you. We can do remote. We do remote work as well. Uh, Tele education. I want to make sure folks know that we're 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 non-local, although we're we're based in Seattle, Washington
0: great. Yeah. And I'll put all that into the show notes as well. So it's easily easy to find for everyone. And Congrats. doc, I mean, thank you so much for your time. I really, I, let's try to do another part two, because we didn't even get a chance to dive into the endocannabinoid system and and how all that works and all the research you've done in there too, which is fascinating. So yeah. there's a, a lot, there's a lot we could go into.
1: <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Sign me up. We'll, we'll do it again. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll be here.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and have yourself a beautiful weekend. You too. Have a good day. Wow. What an episode. I truly feel honored to have Dr. Agarwal on the show as a guest. And I want to be able to keep these kind of conversations going off air, offline. Folks like you, reach out to me if you want to talk about spiritual health, if you want to talk about mental health, if you want to talk about race and racism that exists within the medical cannabis industry and around cannabis and its history these are important conversations and i want to have them and i'll have them with any one of you if you want to reach out but please be having them within your own communities and with the people that you love and people that you just happen to bump into whatever it might be And also, make sure to head over to Apple or Stitcher and leave me a review, let me know what you think, tell me how I'm doing, give me those five stars that everybody loves to see, or whatever number of stars you think I deserve. I'm open to hear about them. And until next time, folks, please stay well and be kind to everybody that you come across. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2, Inc. 2020, all rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Miro, and thank you for listening.